Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. I'm Marjorie. I'm Arnie. And we have a great show for you this week. And I know I probably say that every week, but this week we have just, I think, the best staff in podcasting because combined, everyone's really pulled together this week. I don't just think that this is the best team in Star Wars podcasting. Clearly it is. But (laughs) it's the best team in all of all podcasting. I mean, we've got coming up this week, Brock reviewing the latest Old Republic novel, Dan reviewing Lego Star Wars 3, Jerry with another one of his very popular vintage segments. But topping it all off, Barrett was at the Legoland opening in California, and he gets interviews with Christian Slater, Gina Lee Nolan, Tony Hawk. We have all of them here on this show. Exclusive interviews talking Star Wars coming up later this show. Can I point out you're the only person excited about Gina Lee Nolan? I'm more excited about Christian Slater. I gotta I, be I honest know. with you. Yeah, that's kind of sad. Jerry and I were talking yesterday, and I'm like, I can't believe I. I didn't go. I can't believe it. Christian Slater was there. And Jerry's like, oh, don't worry. If you'd gone, you'd just be upset you didn't take your Star Trek 6 DVD with you. Ouch. <laughs> Wait, he was in Star Trek 6? He had a cameo. His mother was the casting director. Cameo or job? Cameo. Okay. He was very popular at that point. Okay. But first, before we get to all of that greatness, let's start off with the biggest news of the week. Celebration 6 teased at Reed Pop's blog. Reed Pop being the ones who ran Celebration 5, ran C. C2E2. Well, C2E2 is their creation, as is New York Comic Con. I think we're going to get an announcement in the next eight weeks or so, and what they're saying is that the host city may surprise us. The thing is, the only city that would surprise me is one that couldn't possibly handle it, like St. Louis. There's no place big enough in St. Louis to handle it. So yes, I'd be shocked, because that would be a really poor decision. Could be Chicago, could be Indy, could be Orlando again, although please not in August. I gotta give Yak Face a shout out for saying that they'd broken which city it was. It was going to be in January for the 3D in Minnesota, and it was going to be celebration. Yeah, Minnesota in January, not a pleasant place to be. <laughs> Definitely not. Now, they didn't specify a year. I'll tell you, it's going to be 2012. It is going to be 2012. I have it on good suspicion. So everybody just hold on to your hats. Celebration coming sooner rather than later. Too soon. Too soon. 
moon. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I'm, I'm still hot and recovering from Orlando in August. I, I, it gets humid, and I'm like, oh, oh God, not again, please, I, no more. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it though. It was a great, great time. It was. Could we get the climate right this time, guys? I, I actually would prefer the Mayish setting to the Augustish setting. I don't think it matters. It matters partially due to heat. It's not yeah. as hot in May as in August, no matter where you are in the country. True. So, I'm, although we've been in Orlando in May and it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad, but it isn't August bad. No, it wasn't as humid, I guess. But I'm really looking forward to Celebration Six, wherever it is, whenever it is. Honestly, I'm really glad Reed Pop is going to be back in the driver's seat because we've seen a lot of celebrations at this point run by a lot of different companies. Well, just two different companies. Three. Well, there was kind of that transition because it was still Paizo and Gen Con. No, Gen Con before that was Wizard. Yeah. And Paizo, it, it, you know, kind of was slightly different between two and three, very different between three and four and different again between four and five. I like what Reed Pop did. I thought it was handled effectively and I'm looking forward to it again because I've been to some badly run conventions. Yes. And I don't want Star Wars to be like. No, it'll be interesting. I'm just very curious. Now, I, I do follow their blog anyway, and I did notice that Peter Tartera is in London this week, but I can't imagine they do a giant celebration in London. Well, they would, but it wouldn't be Celebration 6. It no. would be Celebration Europe 2. Well, Electric you Boogaloo. Know. You never know. Or would that be the Gungan Boogaloo? Yeah, it might be. Interesting to see how this all shakes out, though. But now, our store report and the tumbleweeds blow by. Figures are still few and far between. I have noticed that our Walmarts have been getting in some more Wave 3 stuff. I've seen some more Admiral Akbars up there, as well as some more R2-D2s with the serving trays. No more Gamorreans, but I'm betting that they were there. They just were bought before I got there. No one likes Admiral Akbar, though. Did you notice? No one's buying him, and I feel really bad because he's a very loved character. Andy's a great figure yeah. with his little vanity mirror accessory. Yeah. Well, you know, he's vain. And no one likes the clones and stormtroopers. I know they're kind of hanging around. I really thought, well, I guess people wouldn't pick them up at the high price point right now for troop building. Still, Wave 4, 5, and 6, very, very hard to find slash impossible to find in stores. And Toys R Us, I keep going to Toys R Us and I just wait for the day I can post on Facebook that hell hath frozen over and Toys R Us finally got something in past Wave 2, but it's not happening. Mm-mm. Someday I'll go into Toys R Us and they'll be like Wave 9. They will have just skipped 3 through 8. But we did find a few more of the unusual Star Wars collectibles that I always like to add to my collection. I was exploring the softer side of Sears (laughs) with Arnie's grandma the other day because that's where old ladies like to go. And we spotted a Yoda pillow. And he's kind of cool because he's not like a Yoda stuffed animal. He's kind of flat, but he does have his ears and little feet. But he's mostly a pillow, not like a stuffed Yoda like we've seen at Target. This one is different. His body's kind of bell-shaped. Yeah, I like it because he's got, like, embroidered details on his chest, and it's like a glossy embroidery, which really made him stand out from the other Yoda plushies. I've got quite the Yoda plushie collection. You do. and But he has a completely plushie-like head and a hood that can go up and down, but the body is just very pillowy, and then he's got, like, plushy feet. I really liked him, and for 20 bucks, yeah, he's being added to the Yoda plushie collection. The checkout lady did not know who he was and just said, oh, he's so ugly. He's kind of cute. For which Arnie's grandmother then had to say, well, that's Yoda. We've taught her well. Yes. When 91 years old, you reach. Here is good. You will not. Also, I want to thank Ryan
Ryan Pease for letting me know that he had found at his Toys R Us some new Star Wars M&M collectibles. They are really six years after <laughs> Revenge of the Sith. The M&M character designs still getting used in pop culture. They had some new items. He found them in his Easter section. I went over and checked our little Easter candy aisle. They weren't there, so I went to the regular candy aisle, and there they were, really hidden. They put them on a shelf that was too short for them. And so I had to actually remove the entire crate to get them out and bring them out at an angle. So you may have to look for these, but there are some new Star Wars collectibles for the M&Ms. The first are mini M&M dispensers, quite a bit smaller than the ones that we'd found at like Walgreens before that were $20 a piece. These were $7 a piece. There were three designs, red with the Obi-Wan M&M, blue with the Boba Fett M&M, and black with the Darth Vader peanut M&M. These, of course, come with a fun-sized, I, I think this is even smaller than fun-sized bag of M&Ms in there. I can't even see the bag in there. Where are they? Oh, that's not even the fun size. You're right. That is the Halloween... Recession size? Yeah, it is. These are, of course, cheap plastic, but they're really kind of cool, and, you know, you then have to buy another bag of M&Ms to actually put in them to dispense. True, because you need that first bag. But I kind of get those. M&M dispensers are like gumball dispensers. They're cool. I like them. An item I don't quite get, they have personal candy fans. I don't get this at all. Do you need a fan that has candy in it? And do you need a personal fan? Well, if we have Celebration 6 in Orlando in August, I need more than a personal fan. I need a big box fan that goes with me everywhere. That's not going to help you. It actually is quite a powerful fan. It's got quite a gust behind it. Yes, sure. There are also three of these. We have green Princess Leia M&M, as well as yellow Peanut Vader and red Obi-Wan. I will tell you that these will break easily because these fan blades are just foam. Oh, they are. You're right. Yeah. And the blades also have a logo on the end, either... The Jedi Order logo, the Imperial logo, or the Rebel logo. Ah. And if you take apart the hilt, inside are M&Ms. 15 grams of M&Ms. Is that like four? I picked them up because they were cute little tchotchkes, but then yet there were more M&Ms. There was a light-up lightsaber M&M. Now, I'm betting there were actually multiples of these. I should have turned it on in the store. I ended up getting the red one. I bet there's probably a blue one and a green one in there where they were exactly the same except for the blade color. I imagine we'll probably be going back. And this actually has no M&M characters on it except on the sticker at the bottom where you get the various different M&M people. But it is a lightsaber that's says Star Wars on it, and it is bright. This would make it, a handy flashlight. Please do not shine it in my light, or my eyes. Please. You can do home LASIK surgery with it. And it has M&Ms inside the handle. Once again, 15 grams of M&Ms. So, it was cool to find some Star Wars stuff. Also, at Toys R Us, Ryan emailed, and we saw ourselves, they had a new Darth Vader tin. It was kind of cool. Vader head-shaped, like a bit of a lunchbox. I skipped on it. I'm not bigly a fan of tins. They don't store well. I have no use for them. They dent easily. They're frustrating. They are. They're extraordinarily frustrating. We had a lot of Doritos, so you could have some Episode 3 tins. And then they have classic Star Wars art travel mugs that have, like, Luke in that classic 
classic A New Hope pose. I passed on them. It just, it didn't strike me. I'm very picky about my mugs. Interesting. Also this week in stores is you may want to hit your Hallmark store because all of the neat little things we saw at Comic-Con are starting to hit Hallmark. They've got some cool mugs with Yoda and Vader and different Star Wars phrases. They've got some little desktop sentiments as they call them. They have some picture frames, pint glasses, shot glasses, travel mugs, and little sound makers. You know, things you press the button, like the easy button, but instead it's a Wookiee growl. Mother's Day and Father's Day aren't too far away, and these are like the perfect types of gifts for that. Yeah, so you can cool up your parents' house with some Star Wars stuff. Like there's one frame that says this will be a day long remembered, or you could do something like that and put a family photo in there. Exactly. Or you can hint to your parents that you need a photo to put in there taken at Celebration 6, and they need to get you some airplane tickets. That is correct. In online news... Sideshow put up their 12-inch Commander Bly figure, and the exclusive version of it went to waitlist almost immediately. The exclusive version only comes with a special base that doesn't fit the rest of the bases, so I don't see the big deal with that, but of course, there's always something to be said about going, I have the exclusive. So if you want that, get on the waitlist, Sideshow's waitlist. If you get on them early, usually have a pretty good shot of hitting home. And also, Gentle Giant has started enrollment in the 2011 premiere guild and have revealed one of the three exclusive busts and it is topless darth maul shirtless shirtless oh well he didn't really like fancy clothes too much he had like his cloaks and stuff but listen let's face it if you're in the gym working out and all you have are big heavy black robes and you're gonna be sweating a lot yeah you know it makes sense that darth maul would strip down it plus i think this all started in a comic book where the artist was just like if that's his face imagine what his chest looks like and you got the cool tattoos going all over his body it's a cool piece it's a Mm -hmm. really nice piece six 60 bucks to join the guild and you get a bust. Well, busts cost $60, so that's good right there. They also have teased two more busts that will be exclusive membership options. One is very clearly Spider-Man. Yeah, they only showed silhouettes. And yeah, Unless one it's is... like some kind of weird glee bust. I don't know. I, at first, I thought it was Voldemort at a rock concert, but no, it's Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man, definitely. The other one, though, I'm not sure on, because at first I looked and I'm like, oh, that looks like a Biker Scout helmet. So it could be a clone, it could be a Biker scout they've been doing a couple of star wars ones a year a realistic one and a clone wars one so it could be a clone wars style one but the more i looked at that silhouette the more i'm like it could be halo so yeah they're the same kind of hats yeah and depending on the angle and things i'm still thinking it's going to be a clone Wars style clone because they did that last year and i just think as far as the guild goes it makes more sense to hit one of their big licensees i mean halo is very popular with gamers but it's not star wars you know it's not harry potter it's not lord of the rings it's much more niche until they get a halo movie going so i think that is there a halo movie coming they've tried a couple of times peter jackson was attached here's the thing movies based on video games usually aren't very good doom silent hill stay alive anything by you bull but there is the exception to the rule like resident evil okay i've never seen resident evil but you can sign up for the collector's guild now and get that darth maul you're gonna want him i want him and now we turn to you our listeners with our voicemails hey arnie and marjorie this is dave berserker jedi on the forums and i just finished listening to your latest swan cast i loved your review of vintage wave four and can't wait for your reviews of vintage of vintage wave five I really enjoy these figures, but I can't find them anywhere near me. 
I now am hearing that Wave 6 is hitting as well, and I am a store-only collector. The markups and shipping and handling fees online are too much, and I don't always pick up every figure in every wave. I live in the Philadelphia metro area, and I've heard the same complaints from others in my area. It's kind of frustrating. Anyway, I love the show, guys. Thanks. Thanks for the call. We actually can't wait to share our thoughts on Vintage Wave 5. We've had the figures here for a few weeks. We're just waiting for a week that we have the time to do it on the show. We've had some big weeks, and next week's going to be another great show. So it'll be a couple more weeks before we get to Wave 5. We will get there. As for not seeing the figures, you're not alone. And I know what it's like to be an in-store-only collector, but sometimes there are figures you can't find in stores. And usually, for me, it's been like last waves, but every so often, there's those waves in the middle, like, the EU figures of Power of the Force 2, I never saw most of those in stores. Or the General's Wave from the 30th Anniversary Collection. Sometimes you just can't find them in stores, and you say the markup with shipping is too high. I agree that if you buy one figure and have to pay shipping on it, it's too much, which is why it makes sense if I have to go to eBay for some figures. And I don't for Star Wars too often, but for Marvel and things, I always try to find a seller who I may have to pay a little more for the figures, but will combine shipping. And so I save overall on shipping. So I'm paying maybe $7 in shipping for four figures versus $7 in shipping for one figure. But here's the thing. We don't live in an area with a lot of Targets or Walmarts. So pretty much what one store gets, the other gets, and it's spotty distribution. This is really our own choice given where we are. There's not many options available to us without spending every weekend driving to a larger metropolitan area. But that doesn't even necessarily help. I mean, we've talked to Justin, we talked to Jerry, we talked to Dan, all of whom live in larger metropolitan areas that have like 9 to 12 Walmarts, they're not getting the figures either. And what they're getting, they're getting so few of. So if you're a completist, I think at this point, it's virtually impossible to be a store-only collector. So you, And you said, though, that you don't get every figure. It's still hard to even just get the ones you want. I needed another Gamorrean Guard, and I really have had to search and finally Justin helped me out and was able to find one for me, but it's just really hard right now, and I still wonder, will the time come when the gates burst open and you end up with all of these figures that we've been hunting for since Christmas? I mean, we're three months in of this drought. It feels like last summer when Hasbro just wasn't even making anything new. Well, and it was different when it was a movie year also, because there was just an aisle full of figures, and you had a really great chance of finding what you needed. But when it's not a movie year, and you just had the TV show, again, it's not the same push of figures. They're just a small section like every other toy in the toy aisle competing for real estate. I think it's actually a viable option and it does save us a little money because we don't buy the ancillary items. Yeah. In the end, you got to just look at how badly you want the figures and what the figures are worth. It goes down to the cost of how much are you willing to pay for a figure. And for us, because we do buy every figure, Brian's Toys, one of every figure club has been a godsend. We actually get the vintage figures cheaper than Toys R Us is charging for them, cheaper than Kmart is charging for them and they ship a wave at a time so we only have one shipping charge for an entire wave of figures i don't have to go to ebay and where even if i get it for retail i have to pay shipping individually on every figure and then there's no guarantee about condition if the post office crushes it brian's toys has that c9 guarantee that i've had to use a couple of times so it's a wonderful option if you want every figure if you don't want every figure obviously that's not necessarily viable and you may think about doing something like this entertainment earth 
Earth this week is having their 15th anniversary sale where almost every in-stock item is 15% off. If you buy a case of figures, even if you don't want every figure, they have cases of figures there for less than $90. If you turn around and sold your extras in the Star Wars Action News forums at cost plus shipping, you'd be helping out other collectors getting the figures you want and able to parse out the case. I've done that a couple of times with some friends as we get cases of figures and we split them and each of us get the figures we want. But if you're just going to stores, ask yourself how much time you're spending, how much gas you're spending, because that's what I had to look at. I really, the thrill of the hunt is fun when you actually win sometimes. But if it's lose, 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 the thrill of the hunt just becomes a grueling trek daily. That's that's my opinion anyway. I mean, I know a lot of people who are store-only collectors, but it feels like if you're not there the day that they're opening the cases, you're not going to find some of these harder-to-find vintage figures. Hey, Arnie and Marjorie, this is Chris in Bethlehem. I'm new to the forums, Wicked 3419. I just wanted to call it a store report of a store that I've never heard of, but it's in my local mall now, called Toysan. And I was in there because they had big signs, 50% off and everything like that. I go in, and here they have Star Wars Legacy figures, and a ton of them. And I didn't expect to see this, so I just thought I'd go in and see how much they were, if they were worth buying. They actually had them for a decent price at $7.99. I ended up picking up three so far. I got Han and Luke in Stormtrooper Disguise, which are extremely well done. Um, I also picked up the Jawa with the Treadwheel Droid, which is a really sweet-looking figure. And actually... What I want to do now is because I had so many figures in stock there, I want to pick up the rest of them so I could make my first build droid figure, the uh, L8L9 droid from the Gendy series. Um, it actually looked pretty sweet, and I wouldn't mind putting it together. So I'm halfway there, so I'll probably go back and pick up some others. I know that there's a dark ball with peace and... Uh, a couple other cool figures, so I'll be picking those up. But I just want to let you know about a find that I got and all the Star Wars legacy figures that are still out there. Love the show, and keep up the great work. I'll talk to you later. Bye. We had a toy jam in our mall, but it was only during Christmas. It started, like, around Thanksgiving, and it closed just after January 1st. We did find some neat things there. I found a lot of Marvel stuff there. We also found, really cheap after Christmas, because they were going out of business, a lot of the Star Wars tins, the little tin totes, for a very reasonable price of $4 mm-hmm. each. And they were having a great sale after Christmas, where you could buy one and get 50% off the next one. So it was really great, but they closed, and now there's nothing there and I don't know if they're coming back. It's usually where our Halloween store is temporarily. Yeah, I kind of felt like it might be run by the same people who run those spirit stores and everything, just putting toy stores in malls. Because we also saw some in St. Louis and Chicago. Mm-hmm. And right after Christmas, they all closed up. So um, Little Shockers is still open, but I guess they have to put all those toys somewhere. Maybe, yeah. maybe they got a cheap lease or something. But it felt very seasonal to me. But good finds and good luck building your droid. Hey guys, uh, this is Mark Dark Ficklin on the forums here. Um, just want to tell you, I went to the flea market today, found a couple great finds. Um, I'll, I posted them on, uh, what was it and where did you find it on the, uh, page there. I ran across a Death Star Commander 12 pack on the car in mint condition. Um, he was asked for $20, but he took it, he, uh, gave it to me for 10 bucks. 
also ran across um, Sony Ericsson singular wireless faceplates for Ericsson phone, and I got that for fifty cents. Still in the package, never open. I got some Star Wars villain playing cards still in the package for twenty five cents. Um, I got a poster also still wrapped up from Trends International. It's got Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, and Chewbacca on the drums or some musical band group still wrapped up. I give it to me for a buck. And then I got one of those clone helmets, still working edition, talking helmets. Just like regular $39. Uh, you give it to me for 50 cents, still working condition. Um, so to hit some lucky finds at the flea market, keep on hitting them. You never know what you find sometimes, but I did post the photos of them. Take care. Thanks a lot. Keep up the great show. Those are really some great finds. Those Sony Ericsson faceplates, especially, that are unopened. I know Sony Ericsson was not a popular brand of cell phone. Mm. I worked in the cell phone industry for a long time, and those are kind of the cheap, crappy ones that you'd get with free activation. And the faceplates, they only came out for Sony Ericsson's, not the popular Razor at the time. So those are a good find. And a 12-back mint-on-card carded figure from Star Wars for $10. Obviously a tremendous freaking deal. I did look it up. The Death Squad Commander seems to be one of the cheaper 12-backs to get on card. On eBay, I actually saw that one did sell for 20 so the price he was asking initially, while on the low side, wasn't too unreasonable. I also saw, though, one that sold for 260 so I guess it really just kind of depends on who your bidders are at the moment. It has a huge range on eBay. It seems like the going price would be anywhere from 80 to 100 on that, and you got it for 10 so amazing find just absolutely amazing congratulations very cool every so often we'll hit a flea market or a toy show usually flea markets you can find better bargains at because people may not know what they have but by the same token oftentimes you'll see just the same junk brought back again and again sun faded humidity damaged slightly mildewed from being kept in a musty garage just so much junk 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 that I don't know I, I just tire of it you know I don't have the endurance to continue go to these i guess if marjorie if you were like a huge flea market kind of person and you want to go for other stuff i might go along for the rare star wars find but going just as the toy collectors we are i'm not a big flea market person usually they smell bad and the people are kind of gross that are selling things and i'm not really just a big fan of that it's usually outside and it's hot yeah i mean that's why they're gross they may not be gross if they were cleaned up but sitting outside in the sun-baked humidity on a saturday or sunday morning probably getting up early and not even showering that day. It's, yeah, it, the whole atmosphere is just, yeah. Yeah, not my thing. I, we go to some, we did the whole Toys and Odd Places thing, and you can go back and listen to that show in our archives, but we didn't find enough to make that kind of thing worthwhile, and then every so often when you do find something rare, somebody's like, it's Star Wars, it's worth $500. Mm-hmm. And you know you could go to eBay and get it for a quarter. Yeah. But congrats, obviously your perseverance has paid off in spades. That 12 back alone, just amazing. Hey guys, Kent from Fort Wayne, and for anybody out there who is still looking to pick up a copy of The Force Unleashed 2 for either the PS3 or the Xbox 360, Target, at least my neighborhood Target, has the collector's editions on clearance on an end cap of various clearance video games. I just bought the PS3 version for 40 the Xbox 360 version was strangely a little bit more. It was 55. Um, I actually had made up my mind I wasn't going to spend more than $20 on this game, but being a collector and skilled at rationalization on purchases that I don't need but really kind of want on an impulse, I decided that at 40 bucks for this edition, I was spending 20 for the game, 15 for the 
quasi-scarce Memobot, and five for the Paxton, which is actually pretty cool. Um, the graphics on either side of it are kind of neat. Um, so overall, it's not a bad price, considering that they also had on the main aisle an end cap with um, the new LEGO Star Wars uh, Clone Wars game, and beneath it they had all the regular editions of the Force Unleashed 2 that they were still ask, asking 60 bucks a piece for. So anybody that's looking to maybe pull the trigger on this thing, take a stop at your local Target. Thanks. Bye-bye. That's a really good price for the collector's edition. I'm surprised it's on clearance and that there are any left. Yeah, makes me really feel bad about paying that full 80 for the Amazon pre-order. But you can never tell with a collector's edition. No, with a game. When I didn't pre-order Marvel vs. Capcom 3, I had to go through a panic to get the collector's edition there. So you can never win. Can't win for losing. But Lego Star Wars 3, the third installment of the highly successful Lego Star Wars franchise, here to review it is Republic Forces Radio network host Dan the Rockstar. Thanks, Arnie and Marjorie. Hello, Swan listeners. This is Dan, Darth Rockstar from the Public Forces Radio Network, your source for all things Clone Wars. And speaking of Clone Wars, I'm here with a review of Lego Star Wars 3, The Clone Wars. Now, first of all, what struck me immediately upon just opening the game, at least on the 360 version, was the lack of information in the manual. A mere five pages, four of which are how to turn on your Xbox and the software license agreement. Just one page with the button map showing you what all the controls are. It was really the only information pertaining to this game you get compare that to the Indiana Jones game that we got last year with a 13-page manual describing all the different elements in the game, I feel that this was a little bit lacking. Now, I know what you're thinking. Who really reads those things? But given that there are quite a few new game modes and a few quirks here and there, a manual would have been helpful to give you some information so that you're not running around trying to figure out so much for yourself. And that being said... This game is chock full of a variety of things to do and collect. There are a host of game modes, story mode, free mode, of course, bounty hunter missions, and a sort of conquest mode where you can conquer all the planets you unlock in story mode for either the Republic or the Separatists, as well as a space battle over each planet. There are 20 space vehicles to unlock, 115 playable minifigures with space for you to customize 15 of your own, and 12 ground vehicles. Now, the main story spans over Season 1 and 2. There are 18 regular missions, 6 for each villain, and the villains represented are Asajj Ventress, Count Dooku, and General Grievous. There's one prologue mission in the Geonosian Arena from Attack of the Clones, one bounty hunter introductory mission, which is Hostage Crisis, where you actually get to play as Cad Bane and his motley crew of bounty hunters, an epilogue mission, the Zillow Beast, and then an extra Separatist mission thrown in for fun, Castle of Doom, where you are Count Dooku trying to stop Anakin and Ahsoka from returning Rada. Now, the story missions are a mixture of character missions with which we're used to, vehicle missions, and these new conquest-type missions. And what I mean by conquest missions are missions where you take over enemy-controlled positions, not unlike a very basic form of, say, Command and Conquer or the old Warcraft games, where you build a variety of structures to succeed in your mission. For each enemy territory you take control of, you unlock another building level. You start out with only artillery cannons. Go to small air support, then to barracks, then to larger air support, a shield generator, 
ray shields, torpedo dispenser, and finally specials, which can be an escape pod, mini kit dispenser, or sub fountain. Now, the graphics are great, combining realistic elements with Lego elements rather than the everything is made out of Lego that we've seen in the past. Also, the new split screen when you play two-player mode is much improved over the past two games, allowing you to go off in separate directions and actually splitting the screen as needed, but combining it when you're in the same area. However, the camera still tends to get a little hung up at times, and there are still the vehicle targeting issues from past games. Overall, though, this is a great addition to the Star Wars LEGO library. And since it only covers Seasons 1 and 2, with a single minifig as a teaser of things to come, possibly, from Season 3, I have every reason to believe that we may see more Clone Wars-based Star Wars LEGO games. Perhaps another game of Seasons 3 and 4, and then depending on how long it goes, another, and then one to kind of put everything together as they've done in the past with the complete saga and the full adventures of Indiana Jones. Now, I don't want this review just to be the opinion of a 30-something-year-old Star Wars fan. So with me are three who are closer to the age this game is actually intended for. My youngest son, Gavin. Gavin, how old are you? Six. And what did you think Mm -hmm. of Lego Star Wars, The Clone Wars? Did you like it? Uh Uh-huh. It's a lot of fun? Yep. What is your favorite part? It's when Grievous fights one of the Jedis. So you liked the levels with General Grievous, like the uh, malevolence levels and then Grievous's lair? Yep. But you really liked the free play when you could be Grievous, didn't you? Yes. Uh, is there anything else, anybody else that you liked being? Yep. Who? Uh, the little, the little guy with the whip. The Lerman from Jedi Crash. Do you like playing more by yourself, or do you like playing with others? Or uh, did Gregory and Gwendolyn give you the chance to play by yourself? Gregory and Gwendolyn didn't get me a plan one turn to play by myself. So you always played with them? Yeah. Yes. But you enjoyed playing with them, right? Yep. Okay. Would you recommend the Clone Wars Lego for other kids your age? Do you think they'd like it? Yep. Definitely yes. Thank you, Gavin. Bye. All right. Next, we have my oldest, Gregory. And, Gregory, you are 14, right? Yes. Okay. So we know the younger kids enjoy it. Gavin enjoys it. What about young people your age? Do you think early teenagers will enjoy the game? Um, somewhat because of all the findables, but, and maybe the, um, parts of it, but not really the humor area. I think most of the kids my age would find most of the jokes that they do pretty stupid. Now, that was one thing I actually enjoyed. So there must be a point somewhere between 6 and 36 where that kind of humor doesn't work for you, but then it kicks back in as you get older. I like the, um, character variety. There's a whole lot more than the other games. And quite a few EU characters and characters from the original trilogy are unlocked. Thank you very much, Gregory. All right, and finally is Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn, how old are you? Eight and a half. Well, that half makes all the difference, doesn't it? So, Gwendolyn, what did you think of the game? It rocked. Now, I know you've pretty much only gotten to play it with your brothers. Have you gotten to play it by yourself at all? Yes. And whose file did you play under? My daddy. And why did you play under my file? Daddy is not the studs. <laughs> and you guys like spending all of my studs on anything that you see, like the ships. It depends what ship. So, Gwendolyn, do you think that girls your age would like the Clone Wars game? 
Yes, I think I'll like it. I think it's cute when they're looking for their heads. Any uh, final thoughts on the Clone Wars Lego? I'm going to go play it right now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Gwendolyn. Goodbye. Now, I would say if you are a fan of the Clone Wars and Lego, then this is a welcome addition to your game library. If you're a little skeptical, you might want to rent it first or wait until it goes to greatest hits. Or wait for that down the road when they do make a complete adventures or a full saga of the Clone Wars game. Thanks, everybody. Be sure to come visit us at Republic Forces Radio Network over at republicforces.com. Be sure to tune in for our season finale of the Clone Wars and our season wrap-up show next week where we will be announcing what our server programming is. What can it be? What can it be? Thanks, guys. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Dan. Sounds really cool. I don't really have a whole lot of time for video games right now, so given that video games aren't usually that hard to find and come down in price, we're kind of holding off on it. I really resent paying full price for games when they first come out. I'm not really chomping at the bit to get this immediately. I'd rather wait and have the savings, because then when I beat it, it's not so much a sting that that was only 60 bucks. If there had been a special with release, ooh, get this special Lego minifig, anything, I would have done it. But the game's going to come down in price. It'll be on sale, so I just waited on that for now. Next up, we've got Brock, who was reviewing Paul S. Kemp's Deceived. This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club liaison with a spoiler-free as possible review of Star Wars The Old Republic Deceived by Paul S. Kemp. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books. Thousands of years ago, before the events in A New Hope, the Sith were many, the Jedi were strong, and the Galactic Republic was under attack from a Galactic Empire. Darth Malgus, the Sith Lord, who looks like Darth Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi, violently enters the Jedi Temple with a Twi'lek at his side as a Republic gunship flies through the temple doors full of Sith warriors, bringing the fight to the Jedi's hallowed ground. A massive battle ensues, and Darth Malgus defeats the Jedi Master Zallow as the temple is left burning and the Sith are poised to take over Coruscant for the Empire. This attack takes place as peace negotiations between the Empire and the Republic are already underway, talks which will eventually lead up to the Treaty of Coruscant. Jedi Knight Aaron Lanier feels her former master's death across the galaxy and decides she needs to find out who killed her master and take her revenge. Meanwhile, former soldier Zerid Kor, in an effort to earn enough money to get himself out of debt and properly provide for his daughter, takes on one last job smuggling for the exchange. Such is the basic plot for Star Wars, The Old Republic Deceived, the latest novel tied into the upcoming massive multiplayer online game coming soon from Bioware. If the first part of that summary sounded familiar, the part with the attack on the Jedi Temple, because it is based on the epic trailer that was released months ago for the game, the trailer itself called Deceived, which served as the jumping-off point for this novel. The Old Republic Deceived is a superb character study. The book revolves around three main characters, the Sith Lord Malgus, the Jedi Knight Aaron, and the smuggler Zerid. And after this epic battle at the start of the book, it really becomes a small personal novel where we get to know these characters on a deeper level than we have for new characters in Star Wars in quite some time. 
The book is structured incredibly simply. There isn't an abundance of plot, leaving us more time for character-driven scenes that lead into the action beats. Much like Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, the simple, straightforward plot drives the action, each part of the story leading to the next organically, and the three main characters' plots intertwining simply, logically, and satisfyingly. At the core for all three main characters, Deceived explores how love in its many different forms can motivate and mold us into the people we are. During the first half of the book, as I was learning about the characters, I found myself trying to predict what was going to happen, how what Mr. Kemp was setting up was going to resolve or come back later. Yet by the time Zared and Aaron joined forces, I stopped doing that and sat back and enjoyed the ride. The author had done such a good job getting me invested in these characters that trying to figure out the book was no longer on my agenda. We first meet the smuggler Zerid Kor, Z-Man, as he's referred to for much of the book, when he sniffs out a routine smuggler's drop gone bad. And we see he is quite adept at assessing a situation and has the skills and training to get out of there alive. Yet, what could have been just another Star Wars sharpshooting smuggler with a heart of gold turns out to be a concerned father who was doing the smuggling for his child's medical needs. Yeah, quite a sobering topic for a Star Wars novel. We're used to characters in the Star Wars universe when losing a limb or being severely injured to be easily given a prosthetic or dropped into a bacta tank, basically having the access to the medical facilities they need. But Deceived is the first time I can recall since... X-Wing the Back to War, that takes the real-world problem of affordable and available health care as a plot point. And for the one in need to be his daughter, rather than himself or even his wife, adds another layer to it entirely. These scenes with and about his daughter work to round out Zared's character for the reader and gives us an instant connection to him. I found the Jedi Knight Aaron's revenge plot to be the weakest of the three main stories. I just didn't buy into the reasons we were given as to why she went rogue to avenge her fallen master. Kemp finds a convenient way to get Aaron and Zared's plots to combine, and that was a brilliant move on his part. It added more character development opportunities, up the drama, and with Z-Man and Aaron working together, it added a layer of plausibility. When they combined their skill sets, it made it more believable they could tackle the logistics to accomplish their respective goals. Darth Malgus is the star of this book. He is given the most to do, the best action scenes, and a solid character arc. It's unfortunate that he looks so much like the helmetless Darth Vader, because while he seems to be the Darth Vader of this story, I found him to be a satisfying character in his own right, and the most interesting character in the book. Perhaps they're calling it out before we can. A Sith of incredible power, we see him struggle emotionally, physically, and politically. I expect them to somehow find more stories to tell for this character one way or another. I also find myself agreeing with Darth Malgus why a peace treaty is even being negotiated, and that is not really explored in this book at all. We are left as confused as Darth Malgus, and perhaps has been explored someplace else, or will be in future novels, or perhaps in the game. But right now I'm left scratching my head behind the motivation of the Emperor and the Sith. The action scenes are once again terrific. And not just because Mr. Kemp has a lack for describing the action cleanly, but because as the book goes on and we get to know these characters and learn what is at stake for each of them, there is real tension. The scene where Z-Man and Aaron are trying to break the Coruscant blockade builds terrifically into a chess match as both sides are figuring out and anticipating what the other's move is going to be. And how that scene ends gets you going, not only because of how exhilarating it is, but because the result 
has real ramifications for the characters. The aforementioned grand Jedi versus Sith battle at the beginning of the book, from the trailer, is beautifully described and provides a strong introduction to the main character of the book, Darth Malgus. By the time we get to the end fight scenes, I was so invested in these characters, I didn't know what was going to happen. None of these characters are off limits to dying. Each of them has something to fight for, and you can see an ending where one or all of them could die, given how the whole thing was set up. A big problem I have with the Old Republic time frame so far in books, and this is of no fault of the author because he's just playing in the sandbox that has been set up, is that this is thousands of years before we see the galaxy in A New Hope, then why is the technology they have seem to be exactly the same? Where did this empire come from? Who is this emperor? The biggest difference I can see between the galaxy from the movies and here, over 3,500 years prior, is that in this book, there are Sith and Sith Lords, many of them at that, and they are connected to the Empire, just like the Jedi are connected to the Republic. But beyond that, down to the technology, it seems that this story takes place in the time frame we are already familiar with from the movies. That doesn't seem to make sense. Perhaps that is all explained in the comics, an essential guide, or an ebook online somewhere, but I have not read that material, and I shouldn't have to. I find it strange that there isn't even an explanation paragraph at the beginning of the book telling us how all of this is set up, a little backstory or something, to give us not only just a number, but a real sense of when. But once the story gets going, you soon forget about that, because it's comfortable in this galaxy that we do know so well. Star Wars The Old Republic Deceived reminds me of the best of what Star Wars can give us. With its strong characters, themes, good action, and an emotional resonance, don't be deceived by the short 250-page length. Star Wars The Old Republic Deceived is packed with goodness and is worth your time, providing a solid character-driven novel we fans want out of Star Wars. I eagerly await Mr. Kemp's return to the galaxy far, far away. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock. I'm about halfway through that book at this point, so thank you for being spoiler-free. And now joining us, we have Jerry, Bounty from the Forums, taking us back to our childhood with another vintage viewpoint. Hello, everybody. Jerry here to bring you the latest installment of my Vintage Viewpoint. This time I bring you a topic that hits me pretty close to home, quite literally, actually. Today we discuss the history of Kenner. Now since this is Star Wars action news, this will not be an all-inclusive report on Kenner's history, but rather a look back at to what Kenner was prior to Star Wars, what led them into the action figure market, and what impacts other Kenner lines had on Star Wars. Now aside from Star Wars, Kenner had an incredible legacy in the toy world, so we're going to take a stroll down Kenner Street to see what it was all about. To let you know first about my sources here, being born and raised in Cincinnati, I had the opportunity to know a little bit about the company all along, but specifically knew some of Kenner employees over the years through various friends growing up. 
Now, they never hooked me up on any rare prototypes or unproduced toys, but it was always fun to hear some of the stories. Now, in addition to my go-to book, which is Steve Sansweet's Star Wars From Concept to Screen to Collectible, I will be citing a multi-part story that ran in Tomar's Action Figure Digest back in 2006 and 2007 called The Kenner Legacy. You really can't beat these two sources. Tomar's Publishing is out of Dayton, Ohio, so I can only assume there are strong ties with former Kenner employees, and Steve Sansweet is, well, you know, he's Steve freaking Sansweet. In fact, Mr. Sansweet and Mr. Tombush collaborated on the Tomar's Price Guide to Worldwide Star Wars Collectibles in the mid-90s, so these are two sources I trust fully. Now finally, I also reference a couple StarWars.com articles from Gus Lopez and Ron Salvatore. Now our story begins in 1947 when Kenner Products was founded in Cincinnati, Ohio by the Steiner Brothers. Okay, just to clarify, not Rick and Scott, but the other Steiner Brothers, Albert, Philip, and Joseph. The company was named after its location on Kenner Street, which you can still drive by on the way to Cincinnati's famed Union Terminal Museum Center, which indeed was the inspiration for the Hall of Justice for the 1973 debut of the Super Friends, more than 10 years before Kenner made its Hall of Justice for the Super Powers line in 1985. Now, before becoming an action figure powerhouse in the 70s and 80s, Kenner had early successes with the Bubblematic Gun and the Bubble Rocket. In 1949, they'd become one of the first toy companies to advertise on television, which can be seen as a very important marketing innovation for the toy industry as a whole. Also, Kenner was well known for many other toy lines, such as the girder and panel building sets, the give-a-show projector, the spirograph, and of course, the easy-bake oven, which debuted in 1963. Now, Cincinnati was also home to Rainbow Crafts, which in 1956 introduced Play-Doh. I think you'll know where I'm going with this, but Rainbow Crafts was bought by General Mills in 1964, and then General Mills bought Kenner in 1967, and added Parker Brothers in 1968. Now from there, the next big Kenner toy to hit the market was Baby Alive, which was introduced in 1973. And who could forget that Stretch Armstrong from 1976? And of course, most people are probably aware of the post-Star Wars action figure lines that Kenner had success with, including Superpowers, Mask, Ghostbusters, Batman, Strawberry Shortcake, Care Bears, and the starting lineup sports action figures. It's simply amazing all these toys and brand names that are still around today. I chuckle at this because just before recording this, I saw a Baby Alive commercial on Cartoon Network. Now in the 70s, action figure lines were taken off big time with what I estimate as being the three big giants. Hasbro had G.I. Joe, Mattel had Big Jim, and of course you had the Mego line of figures that featured Marvel and DC superheroes, as well as several TV and film properties. General Mills hired Bernard Loomis from Mattel to run the toy division at Kenner. He felt Kenner needed to enter the action figure market, which led to their first big success with a 1975 release of the $6 million Man Toys. Loomis believed that a TV property was much better for a toy brand than a film. After all, the window of opportunity for a motion picture was very narrow, whereas the TV show comes back week after week, season after season. However, that would all change when Star Wars was released in 1977, and of course would play in theaters off and on, but more on, over the next eight years. Now prior to Star Wars' release, Charles Lippincott was a full-time Lucasfilm employee whose job was to generate publicity for Star Wars. Aside from wooing Marvel into adapting the film to comic book form and generating some buzz in the fan convention circuit, including the 1976 San Diego Comic-Con, Lippincott and Fox attorney Mark Peavers established what would be the most successful licensing and merchandising experience ever known. The duo attended the 1977 Toy Fair to talk to toy manufacturers about producing Star Wars toys. 
Even Mego, who had strong ties with 20th Century Fox through the Planet of the Apes toys, had rejected the prospect. But looking for the next hot new toy, Kenner was all in and was awarded the license for a reported $25,000 advance. Bernard Loomis took the deal because it was inexpensive and very broad. Many members of Kenner's design team, though, was very excited about the opportunity to work on products related to a George Lucas film as they were fans of American Graffiti and THX 1138. The original deal was finalized in April 1977, in which Kenner was to produce at least one all-family action board game in 1977, and perhaps three different play sets with figures the following year. And I think this is where you insert the, and now you know the rest of the story. But let's keep going. Now, Star Wars not only made Kenner the major player in the action figure market, but it also caused Kenner to make a decision that would impact the toy industry to this very day. The three and three quarter inch action figure. In order to make characters that could conceivably fit into the spectacular spaceships and vehicles depicted in Star Wars while maintaining a reasonable cost structure, a smaller size would be needed than the typical 8-inch or 12-inch size figures that were used in the 70s. It's a very well-known and legendary story told the same exact way each time. Bernard Loomis holds up his thumb and his forefinger while head designer David Okada measures three and three quarter inches and the rest is action figure history. This choice would lend itself to inspiration for G.I. Joe, a real American hero, Secret Wars, the 90s Star Wars line, and many of the superhero toy lines that we have today. Now you can't overlook the marketing impact of this as well. At this size, figures could be sold in 1978 for $2 a piece to where kids didn't have to pick and choose between available characters, they could conceivably have them all. A hundred figures over the course of eight years at $2 a piece is very feasible to have a complete collection and again, it allowed the X-Wing, the TIE Fighter, and Millennium Falcon and many other vehicles to be sold at reasonable prices as well. Now in 1978, Kenner would sell 42 million total Star Wars toys, 26 million being the three and three quarter inch action figures, which gave them a total of $100 million in sales that year. When it was all said and done, Kenner would have produced about 250 million figures throughout those eight years. Now looking back, we know that Star Wars really put Kenner on the map, but we can also see the influence of Kenner's history on the vintage Star Wars collectibles that we have today. For example, as Kenner and Play-Doh were both owned by General Mills, we saw the release of several vintage Star Wars Play-Doh sets, and we continue to see them to this day, including recent sets for the Clone Wars animated series. Now, we joke about Hasbro using the cookie-cutter approach, but they apparently learned this from Kenner. I mentioned earlier about the give-a-show projectors that Kenner made in the 60s. All the same, such sets for Star Wars were made as well. Now, also, we saw a direct use of the $6 million man's bionic eye on the large-scale Boba Fett figure of 1979. Speaking of Steve Austin, Luke Skywalker's AM headset radio was a $6 million man design molded in black instead of white and blue. In 1975, Kenner released the Aerial Aces Home Arcade game, which was later repurposed as the X-Wing Aces Target game. Remember the custom van craze of the 70s? Well, thankfully I don't either, but Kenner made sure to make Star Wars versions of their supersonic power van line. Even the battery-operated Star Wars toothbrushes were from an existing product offering. Now, you know that unproduced 12-inch Lando figure? The earliest mock-up of that figure that was actually used in a 1980 French Misano catalog used a Parker Stevenson Hardy Boy action figure with the face painted brown. Well, at least he had the smile right anyway. Now, the version you probably see most often had an originally sculpted head that gave a really impressive likeness of Billy Dee Williams. Now, with Parker Brothers also in the General Mills family, Star Wars had five board games produced under the Kenner label and later a couple more under Parker Brothers. And don't forget, those Atari 2600 Star Wars games were released under a Parker Brothers label as well. 
Star Wars toys ended in the U.S. with the Power of the Force, Droids, and Ewoks lines of 1985 and 1986. Just a year later, in 1987, Kenner was acquired by Tonka, which itself was bought by Hasbro in 1991. That's why when you see a Power of the Force 2 figure from 1995, the back of the action figure card will say, Kenner, copyright 1995, Tonka Corporation, a subsidiary of Hasbro Incorporated. My goodness, what a mouthful. Hasbro closed the Cincinnati offices of Kenner in 2000, and all the brand names merged into Hasbro's. The Kenner name was dropped from Star Wars packaging in 1999 with the release of the Episode 1 figures. And now you really do know the rest of the story. So I hope you enjoyed that brief tutorial of Kenner collecting history. As a Cincinnati native, it's a topic I love and always enjoy learning more about. Now, as a side note related to Kenner, hopefully you notice that I always sign off my Vintage Viewpoint segments with the phrase, we really do care. Now, for those of you who don't know, that is a well-known Kenner phrase that is found on most vehicles and play sets of their lines, even beyond Star Wars. Now, to explain this further, let me just simply read what was printed on the front page of the AT-AT instructions. We really do care. We make each toy with lots of tender, loving care. So if something seems to be wrong, please read the instructions again carefully. If any part is missing or broken when you receive your toy, we will, as a service to you, replace it free of charge. Please identify the name of any missing part or parts by using the instruction sheet description. Simply fill out the form provided and send it along with a broken part to Kenner Products, 1014 Vine Street, Cincinnati, Ohio, 45202. Attention, Consumer Relations. All I can say to that is Kenner. Thanks for being a part of my childhood and for everything you did for Star Wars collecting. And now, I turn you back over to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Jerry. I know your segments always make Arnie want to spend more money on vintage and or displays for the vintage. Now we have Barrent, who went to the opening of the Star Wars Miniland at Legoland. He went with his son, Pharaoh, and was there to cover the event and got to talk to some great folks about Star Wars. Here to share his experience is Barrent. Hey everybody, this is Barrett, Master Collectum All from the Forums, your Swan Holocron Enhancer, and I'm calling in with a report from Legoland here in Southern California, where this past Thursday they had a grand opening ceremony for the Star Wars Miniland Environments. And I had a great time. I was able to take my son, Pharaoh, with me, who we'll be talking to a little bit later here to find out exactly what he thought of the environments. When I arrived there at Legoland, I was greeted at the door by a personal Legoland VIP assistant who basically was there to help me out and let me know, give me any information I wanted to. She grabbed a few celebs for me to talk to. I was able to talk to Gary McIntyre, who was the master builder of the Legoland environments and who's actually been involved with Legoland for a number of years and has built a lot of the models that were there. So I was able to talk to him. I was able to talk to a couple celebs. 
The opening ceremony was conducted by Peter, who is the general manager of Legoland, and he had an open ceremony. He basically introduced uh, some of the people that worked on the project, as well as a surprise guest. And the surprise guest was none other than Princess Leia herself, Carrie Fisher. And Carrie Fisher showed up to present a check and to meet a child from the Make-A-Wish Foundation whose wish was to meet her, which was pretty cool. And this was my first time actually seeing Carrie Fisher in person, and it was really funny because she kept saying armadillo instead of armadala, and she kept hitting her face on the mic when she was trying to talk, which was very funny, but she was pretty cool. She hung out with the Make-A-Wish child. She didn't really talk to any press. She just kind of focused on him, which was pretty cool, and he seemed pretty happy. So, I was able to talk to some celebrities and the master builder, Gary, and hear those interviews now. Hey, everybody. This is Baron. I'm here with Gary McIntyre. He's one of the master builders here for the Star Wars Miniland opening. How are you doing today, Gary? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time. Um, our listeners want to know, how do you become a master builder? Well, um, you got to be a nerd first, I guess. <laughs> uh, I started building when I was four, like most people, and uh, I just really never stopped. I, I didn't really grow up. I just kept doing it. So that's the short story, I guess. <laughs> what have you built uh, besides um, being involved with this? What else have you been involved with? Uh, well, I've been here at the park for uh, Legoland, California, that is, for um, about four years, a little over four years, actually. So I've been involved in every major project that we've opened um, since then. So we opened a water park last year. I was involved in that project. We opened a, um, an aquarium the year before that. I was involved in that. Um, every every expansion that we've done in here. Um, so I built everything from life-size pirates to um, right behind you over there is the the Miniland um, Vietnam War Memorial. So it's it really varies all across the board. And I wanted to ask you, how did the whole Star Wars build Miniland come about? I mean, was whose idea was this? Well, Lego's been uh, Lego's had the Star Wars license for well, over ten years now, and so it's kind of an obvious pairing. Like it, uh, Lego Star Wars, like it, it appeals to the same people, and um, and so I, I think it was just an obvious choice, and it's something we've been wanting to do for years, and so finally it just kind of worked out, and here we are. I mean, these models look great. These models look great. Are you signing the models at all? How do we differentiate between which <laughs> models are yours? And <laughs> well, uh, as as a Lego artist, um, we kind of the artists here. We kind of have some anonymity, I guess. We don't really get to put a signature on anything. Sometimes we'll build a little something into the inside of a model if given the opportunity. Um, but generally, it's it's. You know, it's all just part of the, the whole uh, the whole layout itself. We don't really take the claim to every any one particular thing because there's you know 20, 40 people have worked on this project. So, you know, I, I am just happy to be involved in it, and I've done a few little things, people here and there, and um, I, uh, you know, it's not not like anything I can really just say like, oh yeah, this is my creation. It it really takes a whole team of people to make something like this happen. Yes, that's what we like to hear about uh, in the Star Wars community. We're not like the Trekkers. <laughs> that's right. I want to ask you, um, what is your favorite model that you built here, um, here at the Mini Legoland? What's your favorite? 
Uh, I got to build Boba Fett, um, the Miniland scale Boba Fett, which was pretty rad. I mean, who doesn't love Boba Fett, right? He's my favorite. So um, that was pretty sweet. And how long did that take you? It took me about a day. He's got a lot of detail, you know, from the like little cape, um, the Wookiee braids, the, the all the pockets and stuff. So it, it was a real, it was really tricky um, to get all those little tiny details in something so small. Wow, wow! I can't wait to check that out. And um, I want to ask you: when you build in these models, is it a computer-based, uh, generated program? Are you just like writing something? Do you just come out with your head? Do you just kind of start and see where it goes? How does that work? Well, pretty much. Um to design on that scale, there's not, no computer that can do that. Uh, we, we use a computer sometimes when we're building really large scale models, like large sculptural type models, or when we're doing like flat images, uh, like mosaics. But there's really no way that we can um, we can do that on such a small scale. And so it really just is a matter of studying the pictures. And for a lot of things that we were doing out here, we were literally pop the DVD in, pause it, uh, go in slow motion, pause it when you get the the right screen shot and, and just build straight off of that. So. That was going to be my next question on how accurate are these models? How screen accurate did you try to get them? We, we tried to get them as, as as tight and as accurate as we possibly could. We actually worked with Lucasfilm. Um, every model had to be approved and uh, go through the whole process of you know, making sure that we're staying uh, consistent with you know the, the standards and the quality, and you know everything has to be up to up to par with uh, Lucasfilm and uh, and you know everything that they do in the Star Wars universe. We couldn't have any discrepancies or stray from uh, something that didn't actually happen in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, so um, what other projects are you are you involved with? Um, is there like a website that some of our listeners can go to and see a lot of a lot more of your work besides coming down here, obviously to Legoland? Uh, I have a personal um, Flickr account, uh, flickr.com slash Gary, uh, slash photos slash Gary MC. You know, check out some of the stuff I've done personally. Otherwise, um, legoland.com, take a look at that. And um, we've got like a live webcam going on right now, so you can take a peek at uh, Star Wars and see what's going on with that. Yeah, I was checking out the webcam uh, last night, uh, watching the last couple days, watching what's going on, and um, it's really cool. Um, I really, our, our listeners really appreciate the time that you took uh, with us, answering some questions. Um, now, my last question, who shot first, Han or Greedo? Uh, you know Han shot first. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Thank you very much, Gary. I really appreciate it. No problem. Hey, everybody. This is Baron Star Wars Action News, and I'm here with Mrs. Gina Lee Nolan. Uh, she is a star from Baywatch. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. You know, we're very surprised to see you here. Yeah. Well, I have three kids, so uh, we're big Star Wars fans, and Legoland is definitely high up on our list of uh, activities as a family. So this has just been uh, outrageous and fun to be a part of. Have you always been a Star Wars fan? I have. You know, it, it was always kind of a dude kind of show. <laughs> but, uh, you know, with Princess Leia and just, it, it was just so well done. You know, the show, everyone got into it. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really stoked to, to see some of these characters and, and see what Legoland has done with it, you know. We're so excited. I brought my son today. and um... How are you? Good. My dad is a Star Wars fan, too, because he does a podcast. 
Yes. I can, yeah. He has to be a very, very big fan to do that. Yeah. I know that a lot of people want to talk to you. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I just want to ask you, who shot first, Han or Greedo? Uh, I'm going to go with Greedo. Oh, you know, you're the only, the first person to say that Greedo shot first is many people in my interview, so that's right? great. Am I wrong? No, 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 you're, it's, right? it's, uh, well. Is there a right or wrong answer? Han shot first in the original trilogy, and then, then when they did the remake, they switched it to Greedo shooting first because they didn't want Han to be a cold-hearted killer, so. So I chose the right one. That's right, that's I, right. I chose the underdog, and I love it. He finally, yeah, he prevailed. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're very welcome. Take care. All right. Bye. Thank you. Hey, this is Baron Star Wars Action News, and I have Christian Slater here. How you doing? Very good, sir. How are you? What the hell are you doing here? Dude, uh, it's Star Wars. It's Lego. Uh, it's a great combination, and uh, my son and I are huge fans. I've been dying to ask you. Yes. What was it like making a training video for Dunder Mifflin? Oh, uh, that was hilarious. Um, yeah, uh, the director was great. Uh, look at him, he's loving life, this guy. Is this your son? That's my son, Farrah. Oh, hey, man, how's it going? Christian, nice to meet you. You having fun? Yes. Yeah, you're enjoying this? Do you like Star Wars? Yeah, that's a cool shirt. I know, it's good. I like it. You're conducting the interview. I know you're busy. Everybody wants to talk to you. I just had to stop and grab you real quick, so I want to ask you, who shot first, Han or Greedo? Uh, oh, definitely Greedo. All right. You know, that's two people today that said Greedo shot first. Uh, you and Gina, uh, Gina Lee Nolan. Uh, that's Oh, no. Actually, I'm wrong, though. It was Han. In the original, it was Han Solo, of course. Yeah, but I guess I think I just watched it the other day, and, uh, and that was the version I saw. But uh, without a doubt, it was Han who shot first. They switched it up. Oh, right. they switched How's it up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, everybody. It's Barrett, Star Wars Action News. I'm here with Tony Hawk, the master. Oh, thank you. And uh, we weren't expecting you to be here. What are you doing here? Um, I'm here because uh, we have lifetime passes, and my kids come here all the time, and uh, they're huge Star Wars fans. They're huge Lego fans, and this, this is perfect. And they were, we were home this week, so that's important, too. Yeah, we had, I brought my son here. We have the, uh, the spring break right on. going on. So... Um, I pulled my kids out of school. <laughs> I wanted to ask you. I know that everybody wants to talk to you. I wasn't expecting you to be here, but I want to ask you. Who shot first, Han or Greedo? Oh, wow. Um, Greedo. Yeah? Right. That's three people in a row that said Greedo. And it's the only time ever that anybody said ever Greedo, uh, Greedo shot first. So it's very interesting. All right. Well, you know, I, I, I like to... I like to just think of Han as, as a guy that wouldn't do that. That's right. That's right. Thank you very much for your time, okay. sir. Appreciate Thanks. It. Hey, this is Baron with Star Wars Action News. I'm here with Brooke Burke. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? We weren't expecting you to be here. What are you doing here? Well, my son's a huge Star Wars fan, and I was as a kid growing up, and we love Legoland, so I had to come out and, and you know, let the kids enjoy it. I know there's a... He's on the mad hunt for Yoda. <laughs> I know there's a lot of people that want to talk to you. Um, I just want to ask you a question. So who shot first, Han or Greedo? Um, Han. Han. All right, all right. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm back, and I'm with my Padawan, my son, Pharaoh. How you doing, Pharaoh? Good. He is Padawan number three because the original Padawans number one and two belong to Darth Cheddar. So <laughs> I've been calling him the Padawan number three. That's okay with you? Yes. 
So we went down to Legoland and we had such a great time. And I just wanted to ask you a few things on how you felt about going down there. So one of the things I want to talk about first was the big, huge sand sculpture when we first walked into Legoland. What did you think about that? Um, it was pretty cool. What was it? What was uh, what was so cool about it? Um, that it was made out of sand and it was sculpted like Lego. Yes, it was cool. They had these guys called the Sand Guys who were actually going to have a new show starting in the fall. And Legoland hired the Sand Guys to come in and make this really beautiful sculpture of a lot of the Lego figure. And one of my favorite sand sculptures was actually the Millennium Falcon that was there. And it kind of looked like kind of like the midi scale Millennium Falcon that they have going out now. And you said you really liked, what did you really like? The Adats and the Boba Fett. The Adat is really cool. They have this huge Adat that kind of looks like the Adat that got shot or that Luke Skywalker brought down in the Empire Strikes Back where the legs were kind of tied together and it fell down face first in the sand. And that's how this Adat is depicted. And the Boba Fett's really cool, isn't it? Yes, very, very, very. And the Yoda, they have Yoda and Obi-Wan and basically all the Jedis. And what are they holding there? Um, lightsabers. But, um, the lucky thing is that they're not dropping lightsabers even though they're made out sand. How do you, how do, I wonder how they do that. Because those lightsabers look like the FX lightsabers. How do you think they get them to hold like that in that sand? Because they just put sand in their hands, like, for covering. And then they just put the lightsaber so they still have some sand blocking it so they don't drop. Hmm, that might be how they did it. So when we went and and we passed the sand sculpture and we looked at the actual environments, what was your favorite environment? Did you have a favorite one? Yeah, it was the Boba Fett. The Boba Fett environment. So that would be the Empire Strikes Back environment. You know, one of the things that was really cool about these these sculptures, models, is that they all had an interactive element to it where you could push a button and certain and things would move. Yeah, and they would go up and down. And like on the Naboo environment, you push the button on that yellow ship, and what did that yellow ship do? Um, It turns around, and like it spins, and it goes up and down. And sometimes some had lights on them and stuff like that. Yeah, and some just like... Hey, some... Hey, Dad, some like... Some... Move the characters. Yes, some of them move the characters, right? Because they had the Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin final duel at the Mustafar, and you push the button, they're kind of spinning around. Yeah, they're kind of like moving. And the clothes are like playing that one mm. under the walk. And we saw a bunch of people who were dressed up, and you got to meet Captain Rex and Imperial Guardsmen, which was pretty cool. The 501st Troopers were there. Everybody was really nice. Yeah, and Boba Fett. And Boba Fett, uh-huh. And also, we got to talk to some celebrities there, didn't we? Yeah. And who did you get to meet? Who was your favorite person that you got to meet? Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk, because he's like meeting Michael Jordan, isn't he? Yeah, but just better. Just better. And what did Tony Hawk say to you? Um, <laughs> He said it's nice for you to come here, and... You're a nice kid. No, you are a nice kid. So that was pretty cool, huh? Yeah. What else did you like about the about Legoland when we were there? That threw some giant Legos, giant, 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 really big Legos. That was very cool. That was very cool. And one of the big, huge, giant Legos was a Chewbacca. And they had a life-size Chewbacca made totally out of Legos. And that was really cool. Yeah. And there was, there was like a giant... Red brick in front of, I'm in front of Legoland and it was very cool and it was so, 
giant. It was humongous. So, Pharaoh, Padawan number three, would you recommend that children go to Legoland and see the Star Wars environments? Kind of, because there was only a little people there. Like, like there was only a little bit people there. Yeah, there was only yeah. a little bit of people because we got invited to the VIP ceremony. Mm-hmm. So it was only like certain people there. Yeah. But you would recommend that the kids go and see the Star Wars environments. Yeah, yeah. So there you have it, straight from a Padawan's mouth. I had a great time covering this event for Star Wars Action News. I got a chance to see all the beautiful models, all the beautiful uh, environments, the Star Wars environments. I have to chan- I got a chance to talk to Gary, the master builder who had a hand in all of those models. And of course, talking to all the celebrities was very fun. And I was kind of interested to, to find out that uh, most of them didn't want Han Soda to be a killer. They chose Greedo to shoot first, which was very interesting. So if you're ever in California, come on down to Legoland and check this out. Um, I was told that they are going to expand on the Legoland, Miniland, Star Wars area, and that it's just a matter of time before they expanded it, and they had plenty of room to expand. They they had kind of like different levels that they could have uh, put it on. It was all Everything was kind of on one level, but there was really actually three levels where they could put displays. So I can't wait to see what's happening in the future. So I'll give it back to Arnie and Marjorie. Talk to you guys later. Thank you, Barrent. And Barrent is the masterful, wonderful person who we love because he enhances the podcast every week and we appreciate him so much. So, so appreciate him. <laughs> Thank you, Barrent. Every time, thank you, Baron. Everybody, come to the forums if you listen to the enhanced podcast with all the images and thank Baron and tell him how appreciated Baron is because Baron is appreciated. And then ask Baron how he pulled one over on Arnie on April Fool's Day. Finally, this week, last week we interviewed Bonnie Burton, author of the Star Wars Craft Book, which came out last Tuesday and has just been amazingly well received. All the people are talking to us on Twitter, on Facebook, in the forums about it. And Marjorie is doing a craft a week from the book. Marjorie, what is your craft this week? Well, I've actually got three things going this week because, you know, I I just have way too much spare time. Last week, I cut up all of Arnie's shirts. Not like all his current shirts, but ones that are too big. And I'm going to make a t-shirt quilt for him, which I actually had that in the works anyway. I was kind of going to make him that as a surprise because he doesn't know what I sew. But I've got that going. But it turned out we didn't have enough shirts. No. Well, we will. So that is kind of still in progress. Not Didn't quite work out because we need to find either a clearance sale on Star Wars shirts or... Well, you're real fussy because you like them to be all giant panels. You don't want them cut up. So I've got the giant panels and I don't have enough to make a giant quilt for you, but I could make like a lap quilt. Yeah, let's let's get more shirts, I think. I've also got a wampa started. Out of washcloths. And the first one I made, the dogs had too much on the legs, so the dogs get wampa legs. And they like the little claws, so they've got that that they ate. So I've got that going right now. And then I've also got the bantha, which is almost done, but the fur I bought for him, I don't like the fur on him. He looks like David Cassidy. He does? David Cassidy? Yes. Oh, because it's kind of shaggy in front? Yeah. Yeah, I guess it kind of is a 70s shag. It really looks like David Cassidy. I, I look at the bantha, and I expect the bantha to go, I think I love you. Yeah, and he's a very large bantha. He's very special. He can't quite stand. He's just learning how to walk. He scares the crap out of my dog, though. 
The Bantha is done except for his fur, which I'm hoping to scout a few more craft stores and find just the right fur for him. So he will be actually completely 100% finished next week. I'll probably have the Wampa done soon after that. And the t-shirt quilt as soon as I pry some more shirts from Arnie. I'll have that done. That was a, a bigger project, though. That's like something to work on in the background. And then last week, Bonnie had said on our show that Jar Jar fans need a name. And our forum members took this to task and have brainstormed some names. And we think we have a name for the Jar Jar lovers. I don't like it. Jarheads. I don't like it. Why don't you like it? Because it's too military. But that's the funny thing is you think Jarhead and you think military. You don't think people who love Jar Jar. Why can't we be called Okie Days? Well, that is our poll of the week is, do you like Jar Jar? Do you like Okie Days? Or do you have a third suggestion that is even better? So come tell us in our Star Wars Action News Forum Poll of the Week. And that is our show for this week. Don't forget, we still have two contests going on. You can win one of the Star Wars craft kits tied into Star Wars craft book that Delray gave us to give away. Listen to last week's show to find out how to enter that. And we are giving away an autographed copy of Knight Errant, autographed by author John Jackson Miller. And you listen to the Delray Panel Forum-exclusive podcast in the forums at SWActionNews.com to find out how to win that. We're going to be giving all of those away, five craft kits plus the book, on our next show. So enter and then listen to our next show to find out if you've won. That's our show for this week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com, HansHideout.Blogspot.com, and JediTempleArchives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is website designed by Jason, associate produced and announcements by Brock, reporters Jerry, Dan, Steve, and Justin, graphic designed by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Barrett. Star Wars Action News is copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. 
Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited. All rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated. Is there anything else you want to say? No. Anything? Hey, everybody. Oh! Oh, yeah. Nice to meet you, Christian. Pleasure. I don't know. Pleasure. That was that was good, but you need to pull a little bit more. <laughs> Look at that. You know. That's fantastic. Dave, can we get a picture of you and Christian together? Oh, sure, please. Yeah. Okay. please. <laughs> Darth Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi violently enters the Let's try that again.